Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward. I'm a senior residential analyst at Knight Frank. And today I'm joined by Jonathan Miller. He's back on the podcast now for the second time. Jonathan is an expert on prime housing markets across the US and he's president and CEO of real estate appraisal firm Miller Samuel. I also have Kate Everett Allen, head of international residential research here at Knight Frank. So this episode, we'll be talking about how the race for space is driving housing markets in New York and London and how they'll cope with governments dialing back economic support. Jonathan, firstly, a warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. And Kate, great to have you again. If you've been obviously on the podcast probably about a couple of weeks ago, but thanks for coming back. How are you doing? Hi, Anna. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Brilliant. Lovely to have you all. So one for you, Jonathan. This week, we saw how in numbers, the race to space has actually sent UK house prices soaring to their highest level in nearly seven years in May. Uh, Obviously, this is a pattern that sort of keeps repeating itself. And of course, you'll be familiar over in the US how home price gains are basically just continuing to accelerate. On that point, and relating just back to your most recent note, where you're talking about house prices as they relate to rent being at their highest level ever tracked. And considering, I guess, that the title of that note was sort of around house prices and augmented reality, when do you think that the New York housing market might go back to some sort of normality? Well, I think when we think of uh, New York and the city itself, it's really on delay. It's Mm -hmm. uh, six to nine months behind the suburban markets. I think one of the things that many people forget about urban markets, especially markets like New York, is that that's where there's a tremendous wealth concentration. And the the wealthier are much more mobile, and they were the first to leave and are the last to come back. And as a result, really beginning in the first quarter of this year, we saw sales actually begin to exceed year-ago levels. And I think 2021 is going to be, it's not a full return because remote working is remains a key aspect. People working remote doesn't mean they're in the suburbs. They're also in the city, right? And I think that's an important uh, concept to uh, understand. And Kate, just in terms of that point that Jonathan mentioned, where people are remote working, et cetera, do you think there are any lessons that we can draw when when it comes to the London market? Are we seeing a commonality and trends between the prime markets over there and, and in London? Yeah, we are actually. And I think it's it's quite a an interesting point in that we've talked a lot in recent years about how global cities actually have a lot more in common with each other than they do with their wider housing markets. And I think that's something that we, we're seeing in light of the pandemic as well. So there's almost a dislocation between key cities and their wider markets. So be that London and the UK or, or New York and the rest of the US. And I think we've obviously seen, as Jonathan's talked about, that move to the suburbs We've seen that demand for neighbourhoods with larger family homes increase. But I think that both the markets, New York and London, have sort of moved almost in kilter over the last few years. They both saw prices peak in 2015 around then. Then they've seen a few years of sort of negative price growth. And I guess the key takeaway is that we're now seeing the rate of price falls start to decline. Prices look to be bottoming out and these are ultimately the world's two largest, most liquid and transparent property markets. So potentially, you know, some price growth around the corner. We're envisaging, I think, 2% price growth for London this year. And we're expecting prices to sort of be static in, in New York, which will be quite a big improvement on what we saw last year, where prices were down for both markets by around 4 or 5% year on year. So an uptick, definitely. 
And how do you think that, how does that picture look when you look at the rental market? I think there's been quite a lot of focus. If rents do start to increase, how will the Fed react to that? And, you know, will, will that mean a, a rise in interest rates? Jonathan, I'm going to come to you first on that one, just in terms of what, sort of what you're looking at, because I know you've been writing about that quite a lot. Yeah, I think that the rental market has been hit significantly harder than the purchase market. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the key factors in our urban markets is inbound comes from, as Kate was saying, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the equation for that is net migration, inbound versus Mm -hmm. outbound. And there's been very little inbound until recently. It's all been about outbound. So the narrative has been highly exaggerated. And what we're seeing now in 2021 in New York, New York Metro, in cities versus suburbs around the country is they're all booming. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're heavily dependent on low mortgage rates. You know, when we think about the whole idea of the cities being out of favor and was this structural, that's still up in the air in terms of how much people are going to be working remotely when the dust settles. It's a V-shaped recovery, Mm -hmm. V for vaccine. And that's sort of a sentiment index almost in terms of people feeling safe. We're still in a, in that process of discovery. Yes, I mean you're right. Obviously, it's still pretty unsettling. Actually, over here in the UK, we're all sort of right waiting and seeing a bit. Kate, just to touch on your earlier point, you mentioned you know prices have been softening in some prime markets like New York and London. What do you think it would take to kind of really boost these markets? Apart from, I mean, obviously the travel restrictions are clearly an ongoing issue. Um, but is there, are there any other factors at play there? It's, it's an interesting one. We've, we've recently put out our Prime Global Cities Index, which tracks luxury prices. And what we found was that actually it was three Chinese cities that were, were leading the index. So Shenzhen, Shanghai and Guangzhou all came out on the top. Then we had the likes of Vancouver and then a mix of sort of Asian, Russian and US cities. So LA actually was in seventh place and Miami in 10th. But as you pointed out, Anna, London and New York were towards the bottom of our, our rankings table with prime prices still sort of falling on an annual basis. The key reason why we're seeing that slow growth in those markets is where they're at in their in their market cycles. And we touched on earlier the fact that they've kind of moved in tandem. They're both coming off several years of uncertainty. In London's case, we've had significant political uncertainty, several general elections. We've had Brexit. In New York's case, we've had significant supply in recent years, which is slowly being reabsorbed back into the market. And they both had tax changes to contend with. I think there's been something like 20 over the last few years in the UK. The US revised the mansion tax last year. So there's been quite a lot of a sort of moving, changeable landscape in the, in the last few years. And I think that's slowly coming to an end. We're starting to see sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And I think there's a degree of price sensitivity as well in the market. Inevitably, we see sort of headlines about record prices and what have you. But I think in both London and New York, the number of sales, the proportion of sales agreed above the asking price, which was around 30% back in 2015, is now closer to 5%. And I think we're seeing similar trends in London. Just to add to that, the market is starting to tighten up in Manhattan specifically since last October, November of last year when inventory peaked. So now inventory is at long-term parity. It's not low like the rest of the United States. It's, it's, there's not a glut of supply either in terms of overall resale inventory, uh, and that number is falling. So I suspect in the coming quarters, we're going to see the bidding war numbers start to rise 
uh, the market is starting to see some sort of uptick. It doesn't necessarily mean rising prices, but it means stabilization of prices, something that we haven't seen in three or more years. Do you, I mean, do you get the sense then, both of you, that just taking a step back and looking at the kind of headlines, which clearly are more focused on the sort of mid-market and kind of more regular homes out of the prime market, do you think we could end up in a situation where by the time that market sort of cools down a bit, that the prime markets start taking off once the sort of international travel comes back, for example? I, I do, and not just for New York, but there's a multi-trillion dollar stimulus program coming out of the federal government going through the economy, uh, GDP, gross domestic product, is forecast in 2021 to be three to four times the normal level. And in 2022, it's forecast to be two to three times the normal level. You know, the, the saying is a roaring 20s type of economic environment, which at least at this point seem like that would really benefit the prime market since uh, when we look at the economic damage from mm-hmm. COVID and, and this post-period, it's been heavily skewed against lower wage earners. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, you know, I think the progression seems to be pretty clear about improvement in the upper echelons of the market over the next few years. That's interesting, because actually, I guess we all thought we were sort of at a point where the government was sort of withdrawing the support. So you're saying you think that there's sort of more coming, <laughs> basically. Well, there is more coming. It does depend on the elections mm. in a year in terms of whether the current parties stay you know, where they are. But definitely the default is more over less. OK. Uh, Kate, do you have any thoughts on that, just in terms of um, government stimulus around the world and kind of who's withdrawing what? In terms of government stimulus, I mean, we're still seeing a significant amount of support being put behind economies the end of this year, I think we're going to start to see some of the furloughing measures start to, to be tapered or, or fall away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we're going to see, I mean, we, we get asked the question a lot, you know, is the market in a bubble? And I think looking at multiple indicators, including the furloughing being rolled back, mortgage rates, maybe not short term, but medium term starting to tick upwards. The fact that the, the banks have got t- much tighter lending rules, I don't think that the risk really is there. The stimulus measures, what we're hearing about sort of the ECB, et cetera, are going to be there for, for some time to come in terms of quantitative easing. So I, I don't think we're we're certainly not looking like anything like we saw back in sort of 2008 and the global financial crisis. Mm. Um, just in terms of Jonathan's note, just a quick footnote in terms of our London um, data. Um, actually, we're releasing this week news that prime price growth will have moved into positive territory um, for the first time in five years. So that's really significant turnaround um, for prime central London, given all the political uncertainty and numerous tax changes that we've talked about. But I think it also reveals the fact that prime central London market isn't entirely reliant on the reopening of international travel. And this sort of narrative around the London exodus doesn't really portray the full picture if the the market has already come back into positive territory um, you know, in pandemic times. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Is that something that you're seeing um, in New York, Jonathan, at all, or indeed other sort of cities in, in the US? Yeah, yeah. I'm relatively optimistic mm-hmm. over the next two or three years. Uh, this is night and day compared to what we just went through. I mean, as Kate had said earlier, we were looking at from 2018 through the beginning of 2020, aggregate pricing in Manhattan was down about 15%. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was almost as if the market 
was starting to find its new level because mm -hmm. pricing had come down to meet the market, sales activity leads price direction by about a year, year and a half. So I think the story in this year is going to be sales activity and next year pivoting a little bit more to price improvement, you know, price price growth, but very modest. And what have you got your money on then in terms of, um, you know, the prime markets that you think will do the best out of all of this? Well, first of all, in general, the luxury or the prime, you know, dri the drivers of these markets has been this concept that I dubbed co-primary, where the more affluent are, uh, instead of getting second vacation homes, they're looking at it as an alternative primary residence. So we're seeing housing markets like Aspen, Colorado, which we cover for Douglas Elliman Real Estate mm. and yeah. Hamptons, are seeing record school enrollment. That's excellent. Uh, and they're seeing this because it's seen as a temporary permanent, if you will, mm. because remote work will still be with us after the pandemic is yeah. brought under control. Are you seeing them, are you actually seeing them essentially then buying more property rather than sort of decamping and, and moving? I mean, it, absolutely. Okay. These markets are seeing unbelievable sales activity growth mm. uh, in multiples, not in percentages. And on a year-over-year -year basis for the last six months or so, uh, it's been unprecedented. And it's still early, but we're not really seeing a slowdown mm -hmm. or a breath being taken by the market. You know, 2020 had no seasonality, no patterns whatsoever. And what we've been seeing this year uh, is the market trying to sort of return to seasonal patterns, uh, you know, albeit higher activity, lower inventory, but still seasonal trends. And I think that's probably going to continue. But you're not saying, I mean, you'd have thought if, if you know, people are thinking about schooling and, and so on, that you'd, you'd then see a big downsizing in sort of city areas. But you're saying that you think people will sort of hang on to both properties in the, in the luxury market? That's what it looks like. It's not as much as about people selling their urban, you know, primary residences. Uh, it really has been a second home, a co-primary home. Okay. I think that That's was the misnomer in the beginning of the pandemic w where we got the messaging wrong. Uh, Jonathan, a real pleasure to have you all the way from New York. And Kate, once again, thank you so much. Uh, a real pleasure to have you both on. Really fascinating to sort of look in a transatlantic way at what's going on in London and New York. Thanks, Anna. Love the conversation. It was great. Do come back, Jonathan. It was good to have you again. Absolutely. My pleasure. So for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details on that. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and do listen out for our next episode in a fortnight. Thank you so much again for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.